Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. Before we get into what we're doing in this class, I just want to pose a very simple question to you, and you know the answers, but if we asked how useful is a computer, and I'm talking a nice computer, I know there's debate, Apple and Windows, Mary Beth has taught her oldest son that Apple means it's a great computer if there's an Apple on it, <laughs> so that's what he's convinced of. It doesn't matter to me which you prefer, whether it's an Apple or a Windows or anything else, how useful is a computer? In itself, computers are immensely useful. They have literally changed society. They've changed medicine. They've changed all other forms of technology. Your manner of life, the standard of lifestyle that we're just accustomed to now, which is very high, is because of computers. Computers are useful. But no computer in the world is useful at all if you don't know how to use it. If we had the best technology, the best computers in the world, but not a single person who knew how to actually use the computer, we'd still be in the Stone Age. We would have no benefit at all. So you can probably tell where I'm going with this. How useful is your Bible to you? In itself, it's immensely useful. I can't say enough how useful it is. We're faith Bible church. So we believe the Bible is useful. It's on our logo. Everybody here's got Bibles. But if you don't know how to use your Bible, it's totally wasted on you. It's not useful to you. It doesn't help you in your life. It doesn't help you help anyone else in their life if you don't know how to use it. So what we want to do in this class is simply this. Here's the goal. At the end of these three months, January, February, March, every person in this class, we want you to be able to open your Bible to absolutely any part of it, including minor prophets, to any part of it and know where you are. We don't want you to have to open it and be utterly confused and astounded we want you to be open, open even to the Old Testament, be able to open anywhere, and you don't have to, we're not going to know everything about every book in the Bible, but you're going to know in the whole scheme of the Bible where you are. You're not lost. That will be a great feeling. So that is the point of the next three months. This class is called Know the Word, very simple, and we want you to know the Word. Now, there are many things that we can know from the Word about the Word, such as we have four characteristics of the Bible, for example, historically, the authority and the clarity and the necessity and the sufficiency of the Bible. Those are important, and we are going to be communicating those to you and talking about those one-on-one. -on -one. Just started this podcast. We'll be talking about that on our podcast. And in other ways, if you're interested in those sorts of things as well, a book I would highly, highly recommend, and we're going to have some copies available, I think, at some point in the foyer, too. $14 for this paperback. That's three coffees. Three coffees. So this is called Taking God at His Word by Kevin DeYoung, and it is the best short, semi-humorous, simple explanation of the characteristics of the Bible, what the Bible actually is. I'm giving you this as an example because that's not what we're going to talk about in this class. 
very important, but it's not our focus. What we're doing over the next three months is what you call a survey of the Bible. Not like you submit your answers kind of a survey. A survey in the sense of overlooking. We're flying over the entire Bible so that you have a sense of the whole thing. And you can land in any one place and know where you are and not be lost. So that's what we're doing. So our goal is you can end up anywhere in the Bible. Open your Bible at random by April. Okay, so it's April, for, April 2nd. No, April Fool's. April 2nd, you open your Bible anywhere. And you have a sense of where you are. That's our goal. If we've done that, we've succeeded. If not, we've failed. We'll see what happens. I want to mention as well, another reason that we're doing this right now is because you may have heard that it doesn't really affect you so much, but on our end, as leaders at Faith Bible Church, we're trying to organize our Sunday schools, our adult Christian education, what we're teaching and talking about. A part of that is because the culture is so confusing right now. So what we're trying to do is for the next three years, we've planned out what we're going to focus on each quarter, each three months. So January, February, March is the most foundational thing if you're a Christian, because it's how you know everything else. It's the Bible. The next quarter will be God, theology proper, gospel, discipleship, and so forth through all of the major parts of the Christian life. But that's another reason, it's our quarterly focus, is the Bible. So. Prepare to be annoyed and hear me talk about the Bible all the time. I've been reading and thinking. We've been praying, preparing for this quarter. We're excited. This is what we're excited about. The stuff going on in culture is very important as a subcategory of the things we really care about, which is the Bible. So we're sort of, if you will, choosing what we think about instead of letting everybody else choose it, because <laughs> you know how that goes. So what we choose to think about and you can think about whatever you want. We're not forcing you. But here, as leadership perspective, we are choosing to think about the Bible. And one way we're doing that is this class that will give you an overview of the whole thing. That being said, what I intend for today is overly ambitious and probably too ambitious. Sorry about that. But what I want to do today is give you a sense of flyover in the next 40 minutes of the entire Bible. <laughs> so obviously I can't deliver very well on that. But that's our purpose today because what we're going to be doing the next 12 weeks, the next three months, is we have selected very carefully several men from this church whom we believe are qualified to teach. And they will take turns over the next 12 weeks teaching one section of the Bible at a time to you. Not in detail. Don't have time. We're just giving you a flyover. So next week, someone will be up here teaching you about the Pentateuch. That's the first five books of the Bible. Then someone will teach you the early histories and the later histories and the wisdom or poetic literature of the Old Testament. Someone is going to teach you the major prophets and the minor prophets and the gospels and Acts and Paul's letters to churches and Paul's letters to individuals and the general letters. And then I'll be back at the end to talk about Revelation because nobody wanted to take that category, so that's fine. So we will complete it on that note. So what we're doing today is, don't, don't worry if it goes fast and you are frustrated because you don't get every detail. We're not trying to get every detail. I just want to give you a picture from a billion feet up of the whole span of the Bible so that you're ready for the next several weeks. 
You'll get details in the next several weeks. So don't worry if you don't. Did everyone get a handout? Do we have those? You all have, if anyone needs one, they're, they're still sitting back there on those white receptacles on the back. You will want one of those probably because I'm not going to have that information on the slide, but we are going to go through that. So we'll get to that in just a second. All right. Those handouts are a brief summary of every book of the Bible. We're going to talk about those. Before we talk about what's on those handouts and get to the books themselves, I want to give you two things, the order and the flow of the Bible. Then we'll do the order, flow of the Old Testament, order and flow of the New Testament. By order, what I mean is, when you look at the table of contents, which you have in your Bible, in the beginning, there's a table of contents. We'll tell you all the books of the Bible. If it's on your phone, there's somewhere. You click it, it tells you all the books of the Bible. Highly encourage you to memorize the order of the books of the Bible. Which, there's 66 of them. That's a lot. But don't worry, you can do it as a song. Okay? So look online, find a song that will teach you the order. I learned one as a child. It's still in my mind, and I still use it every time I'm going through books of the Bible. So I know Campus Outreach had a great song that Michaela sings as well. Not as much my taste. It's a little too uh, hands-on. But find a song. Learn the order. But I do want to just talk about <clears throat> the order for you of the books of the Bible. Then I want to talk about the flow of the story those books are telling. So we're just talking about the order of the books in your Bible. Give you a sense of that. First point, you need to know that the order of the books in your Bible is not inspired. Is that shocking? Could be shocking. We're going to talk about the order of your Old Testament is not the order of books that Jesus' Bible had. Humans, in a non-inspired way, chose the order of the books of the Bible. I think they did a great job. So 2,000 years of Christian history, give them a big thumbs up. So we're going to keep the order. But just so you know, the order's not inspired. And if you want really the key, when you look at the order of the books all the way through your Bible, what's the key? How are they organized? We'll talk more in detail. But the key is this. And <laughs> you can say, that's not a helpful key because it's such a big word. But it's semi-chronological. <laughs> I'm sorry, I tried to think of an easier word, but that's the one that describes it. So let me just explain it to you. Maybe you know what it means. Semi means not completely. Chronological means in order of time. So if you do Faith Bible's Bible reading plan that just started, so you're not too late, in the foyer, on the table on the left, a bunch of these little bookmark-looking things. They've got a Bible reading plan for the whole year, if you're interested. Michaela and I just started it last night. We're excited for it. We're reading straight through the whole Bible, maybe three chapters a day or something like that. As you read from Genesis to Revelation, you will be progressing through time, starting literally, what's the first three words of the Bible? In the beginning. And then Revelation takes you to the end of this epoch of being here and then on into eternity. So you can see Genesis to Revelation, you're going through time from thousands and thousands of years ago to whenever the future that Jesus comes back is. is. But what gets people mixed up is the semi part. Because especially when you get in those prophets, 
and some other books like First Second Chronicles and you'll find that you're going along in history. I'm tracking, I'm following. Okay, really, all the way up to First Second Samuel. Then you get to First Chronicles and you just jumped all the way back in time. <laughs> you go, what? You get to the prophets and they're all over the place. So it's semi-chronological. The New Testament's the same way. You have the Gospels, you read Matthew, great, ready for the sequel. Mark, we started over. Luke, we started over. John, we started over. Acts, we're continuing on. And then Paul's letters, some are later, some are earlier. So it's semi, okay? That's all you need to know. Your Bible is in order of time. That's why the books are the way they are. Somewhat. All right. Flow of the whole Bible. Wow, we could spend a long time on this, but we won't. Committed to not doing that. A lot of people have tried a lot of different ways to put the flow of the whole Bible together. It's a big book. Don't let this trick you. Those are skinny little pages. This is a thick book. It's got a big story in it, enough to guide your whole life. It's sufficient for that. How do you put the whole story together? Some people have tried to do it using themes, and they've used various themes. So. Someone might say, you know, the theme that ties the whole Bible together is this idea of seed or descendant. Genesis 3.15, all the way in the garden, God promises that he will send a seed, Hebrew Zarah, a seed that will crush the head of the serpent seed. Great. And then you trace that through Abraham. You'll have a seed. It'll bless the nations. That ends up being, looks like David. Nope. David's seed, Jesus, and so forth. Okay, so that's a way to approach the whole flow with a theme, and there are other themes. Really, these days, people have taken just about every theme you can imagine and traced it through the Bible, which is wonderful. So that's one way to think of the flow of the Bible. Here's another way, if you want to look at the whole Bible. Some people have looked at the whole Bible in terms of covenants. Covenants are so extremely important in the Bible, and really, you can see the covenants as a backbone of the story of the Bible. They are one thing that ties literally the whole thing together. There's always a covenant. Always. So Peter Gentry was my professor, Old Testament professor, when I was, still am, almost done, studying at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And he's written saying the covenants are the backbone of the whole Bible. So you go from the covenant of Adam and there's different ways to do this, but let's say you go from the covenant of Adam, reinstituted with Noah, so there's a covenant, and then you have Abraham with a covenant, and then you have Moses come along and there's a covenant, and then you have David and there's a covenant, and then Jesus at the Last Supper says this blood is for the new covenant. In one real sense, all of us trace the Bible, the flow of it via covenants, because you notice you've got the Old Testament and the New Testament. Have you ever wondered what a testament is? <laughs> it's just another word for covenant. So the Old Testament, we say, is primarily about the Old or the Mosaic covenant with Moses. That's what it's focused on. And the New Testament is the new covenant in Jesus that all of us are under. So covenants are one way to look at the flow of the Bible. Here's another way. Dispensations. That's a fun word. That's a great word. You should know that word. That's good. Faith Bible Church, we are what you call dispensational. And there's a lot of things that doesn't mean that a lot of people think it does mean, unfortunately, but 
Dispensations are another way to think of the flow of the Bible, and they're simply this, put most simply. At different periods in history, God has dealt with his people in different ways. So a dispensation is a period of time. God was interacting with Israel during that dispensation. Really, these are pretty closely tied to the covenants, to be honest. Under that dispensation, under the law of Moses, he was dealing with them in a unique way. They weren't saved differently or anything, still by faith. But he was dealing with them in a unique way. Look, you can go out today to Red Lobster, eat some lobsters. But if you were interacting with God under the dispensation of the law, you couldn't do that. Now you can. See, there's a difference. There is huge debate about those who call themselves covenantal, those who call themselves like us dispensational. We're not going to touch it. We're not going to get into that. Hooray. You're welcome. Other than let me just say it's mainly about how you put your whole Bible together and really where you lay the emphasis. There's so much we do agree on, but there are things you emphasize or don't emphasize, like the future of Israel. Won't get into that. And it does change how you view some things. So all you need to know is there are a lot of ways to look at the flow of the whole Bible, the story. But there is a flow to it that God has given. There are just different ways to approach it. And Faith Bible, we are dispensational. We emphasize the dispensation. But we love the covenants, and we emphasize those too. So, you know, but we're dispensational. All right. So that's the whole Bible. Congrats. So now we need to focus in just on the Old and then the New Testament. So before we get into the individual books on your handout in the Old Testament, we are going to talk about more specifically, the order of your Old Testament. And this is the tough one. A lot of you probably know the order of the New Testament, but the Old gets a little confusing. Here's what you need to know. Like I said, the order of your Old Testament, not the same as the order of Jesus. The Jewish people, still to this day, have a different ordering of the Old Testament. And guess what? That's totally fine. Because remember, the order's not inspired. So the way the Jewish people then and today put together the Old Testament is by a word, it's an acronym, that they call the Tanakh. That is what a Jewish person calls the Old Testament, a Tanakh. There's a T and an N and a hard K, <laughs> whatever you want to call that, Tanakh. You see that? And each of those represents one part of their Bible. The T is Torah, that means law, that's the Pentateuch for us, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So that is the core of everything else that comes out of the Old Testament, and that's how the Jewish person sees the first division. So they have the same ordering of the first five, but then things change a little bit. Because then the Jewish person goes to the end, Nevaim, which means prophets. But they would include Samuel, because he was a prophet, first and second Samuel. So then they would go to 1st, 2nd Samuel, and then they would have these, uh, all the prophetic books. 1st, 2nd Chronicles comes actually later in the Jewish writings, the last books. They would have all the prophets then, major, minor prophets, some of those books they connect, whatever. Lastly, there's the writings, and these end with 1st and 2nd Chronicles. So the very end of Jesus' Bible is not Malachi, 2nd Chronicles. So Jesus, on the road to Emmaus, he's talking with the disciples, and he says everything that was written in the law and the prophets and the Psalms had to be fulfilled. And the Psalms is probably shorthand for the writings, because that was the first book in the writings. All right, you don't have to remember that, just an interesting tidbit. This is what you have to remember, because 
you're probably not Jewish. You probably don't have a Tanakh at home. You've got an Old Testament. Same writings, different order. Here's the order of the Old Testament for you. We begin with what we'll say history. So this starts with the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And then you'll see in just a second, we have other points of history that kind of lead us along the historical progress of Israel. So when you get through the histories before you get to Job in your Bible reading plan, if you're going straight through, you've already read the whole history of the Old Testament before you even get to Job. So that's encouraging, right? Everything else is really explanation on that. So we start with the histories, then we have a section that's not in order of time, but it is poetry, or we could say wisdom literature, either one, okay? But it's poetry, that's the genre. And that starts with Job, you have the Psalms, you have the Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. These are poetic works, sometimes some of the more confusing ones, especially Ecclesiastes. And then lastly, you've got prophecy. The major prophets, and major doesn't mean more important, it just means the books are longer. And minor prophets, which the books are shorter. So that's the order, okay? History, poetry, prophecy. You can remember that. History, poetry, prophecy. So in the next 12 weeks, you're going to be in one of those three. We'll, sub, we'll break them down even more. Flow of the Old Testament, we don't really have time to go into this in depth, but you kind of need to know this a little bit to understand your Old Testament. And you're going to see it in the next 12 weeks, so I don't have to explain it in depth, but here's, what is that, eight? Eight major parts in order in the story of the Old Testament. Creation, pretty big part, brings everything into being. First two chapters of Genesis. Then the rest of Genesis is about the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, who gets renamed Israel, and from him come the 12 tribes of Israel. So the patriarchs, those brothers go down to Egypt, get enslaved, that whole nation, and of course the great exodus where God brings them out. It's one of the greatest works of redemption, foreshadowing the cross. They leave the land, travel 40 years in the wilderness, then they go to the land God promised the patriarch Abraham, and that is the land of Canaan. And in Canaan, they have a conquest under Joshua. Where they go in and take over the land, not perfectly, but they do. Eventually that leads to a great kingdom. The Saul is a king, but he's not so great. And then David, the great king, who expands the land, protects them from their enemies. Hooray, hurrah. Unfortunately, under his son Solomon, just after Solomon, who's also a great king in his own way, after Solomon, there's a civil war. We had one of those in our country. We reunited, they did not. So then you have two nations. You've got to know this to know the prophets. You got the northern nation that now we're going to call them Israel. That's what we called the whole people, but now we're going to call the northern, Israel, northern nation Israel. So that gets confusing. And one of the tribes, Judah, is what we're going to call the south. Israel in the north, Judah in the south. There's that division. And then they're bad. And the northern tribe in 722 BC, because they're bad, God brings in a nation called Assyria. Powerful nation comes in, takes them all away. Goodbye. They never come back. Then, about 150 years later, in 586 BC, God sends the next super world power, which is Babylon, and they come and take away, destroy Jerusalem, ruin the temple, break down the walls. Immense important thing. 
and they take the people away to Babylon. They do come back. And so you have the exile where they go away from their land. And some books are written then, like Esther is the next nation. Persia comes, takes over, and then you've got Esther there in exile. And then you've got the beginnings of a return in books like Ezra and Nehemiah. And they're coming back, but it's not as great as it was. And then 300 years of silence while they're waiting for the promised descendant of David to come and save them. And that's when Rome takes over. There you go. See? Easy. Is that easy? That's easy. <laughs> A little bit. Don't worry. You've got 12 weeks. We can slow it down. But that's just the overview of what happens in your Old Testament. All right. Before we go to... Oh, yeah, there it is. Survey of the Old Testament. This is the ambitious part. I don't actually know how long it's going to take, so let's just see. Let's overload you. I'm basically just going to read through these. I want to comment so bad, but I'm going to try to fight it so, so hard. And you've got blanks there, and you know you want to fill in those blanks, and you will not be satisfied until you do. So that's what we're going to do. I just want to give you one or two or three sentences about every book in your Bible, and this is beginning with the Old Testament. I've divided them, subdivided them, in the ways they'll be taught in the next 12 weeks. So, starting with, you know your Old Testament order, we start with history. So let's start with history here in the Pentateuch. Genesis, God creates the world, and he puts man on it, mankind that is, in Adam. Man sins, brings death into the world. Then people spread out into various nations, and God calls one man. Who is that? Abraham the patriarch. Abraham, and promises that through his seed, his descendant, all the nations will be blessed. Ooh, I want to say stuff. I'm not, not going to do it. Let's go to Exodus. Abraham's descendants, the Israelites, have been made slaves to the Egyptians. God sends Moses, and through Moses, he brings the Israelites out of slavery. That's the Exodus. He gives them a law. And he promises them, just like he did Abraham, a land. Then the one that stops every Bible reading plan you've ever started, Leviticus. Because God is, what is God according to Leviticus? Holy. Holy. Because God is holy, his people, the Israelites, must also be holy. So this book is laws given for Israel's ceremonial purity, washings, diet, so forth. Numbers, the Israelites experience in the wilderness, so this is after the Exodus, on their way to the new land is recounted, as well as, this will get you if Leviticus didn't, several rules for the nation and census numbers. So, if you're reading this year through the Bible, just push through. That's inspired by God, it's important. Push through the census, Leviticus, the census. Deuteronomy means a second giving of the law, so Moses reminds Israel of God's what? law before they enter into the land that he has promised them. Good job. Those are the most important books of the Old Testament, probably. Everything else builds on them. So that's the Pentateuch. All right, early history. It's really a continuing the history that we've already got. Joshua, after Moses' death, Joshua leads Israel into the land that God promised them. It's Canaan. 
and their battles are recounted. Judges, in the generations following Joshua and the conquest of the land, the people of Israel go through many cycles of, one, rebellion against God, not good, two, God brings in a foreign enemy to oppress them, number three, they cry out and God delivers them through a national leader, that's what the judge, not like a legal judge, a judge who delivers them, like Samson, kills the enemies, delivers them. So, things aren't so good at the end of Judges. Ruth. In the days of the judges, an Israelite woman named Naomi loses her husband and sons, but she has a faithful foreigner of a daughter-in-law named Ruth. God provides Ruth with a husband, and she becomes, as you're reading it, go, why is this in the Bible? She becomes the great-grandmother of King David. There you go. All right, continuing the history, First and Second Samuel. These books tell the story of Israel's greatest king, David, my favorite character in the Old Testament. Yet, he falls short of being Abraham's promised anointed descendant. First and second kings, after David and his wise son Solomon, Israel experienced a civil war, like we said, splits in half. The many kings of the north, Israel, and the south, Judah, progress downward toward abandoning God, so God brings in nations to conquer both and lead them into exile. Then First and Second Chronicles, like the books of Samuel and the kings, they tell the story of Israel's kings. Once you get here, um, you've gotten all the way through the history of the Old Testament. So push your way through Second Chronicles, and you've got the whole history. But there are some more historical books that take place. Well, this really deals with the return. I guess that is the last point, huh? Ezra, after 70 years in, exile. God releases the southern king to Judah from exile, begins to lead them back to their land. Ezra the priest is sent to teach the people God's law. Nehemiah, as God's people return to their land, Nehemiah is sent to the capital, Jerusalem, as governor. So Ezra is a priest, Nehemiah is a governor. They work together, rebuild as they return to Israel. And lastly, the interesting book of Esther, which never mentions God, actually. During Israel's exile, the king of the conquering Persians, so he had Assyria, then they got taken over by Babylon, then they got taken over by Persia. The king of the conquering Persians marries an Israelite named Esther, and God uses her to save the Israelites from a wicked plot. There's your history. Excellent. So read through that this year whether the FBC plan or another one, read through that, get through the history of the Old Testament by the time you get here. Now the rest of the Old Testament, because there's a lot left, is in many ways an expansion or an explanation of the history. So then you go back in time to maybe the earliest book in time, we're not sure, to Job. And now the rest of these are all, these in this section of wisdom are all poetry. So now we're in poetry. Job is a rich and righteous man, possibly in the time of Abraham, whom God allows Satan to test by taking away wealth, children, health. The argument between Job and three of his friends which follows addresses the problem of basically sin, but we would say probably evil. The problem of evil. That's a category of thought that even unbelievers wrestle with. How can there be evil if there's a good God? How can there be evil? That whole book, which is very long, so you'll be like, why is this going on so long? It's about the problem of evil. Next set of poetry is the Psalms. They are 
Another word for psalms. Songs. They're songs. You sing them. Written by King David and other holy men. The Proverbs are a collection of wisdom sayings compiled mostly by King David's son Solomon. 31 of them. One for every day of the month if you're interested. Read one a day. Ecclesiastes. Wise King Solomon wrestles with the seeming meaninglessness of life. And lastly, in the poetry section, the Song of Solomon, in this love song, King Solomon and his bride praise each other's beauty and delight in each other's love. So we did the history. There is the poetry. And that brings us to the last section, which is the prophets. You got the major, then the minor. Major or longer. So here's Isaiah. This prophet, okay, and this is where it's important to remember there's a north and a south. There was a civil war. Because some of the prophets are prophesying to the north, some to the south, some to both. Isaiah, this prophet decries the wickedness of the southern kingdom. He foretells their coming judgment, Babylon, and he prophesies of a blank of David who will rule forever. Descendant, or seed, Zerah, descendant of David. It's going to be Jesus, by the way. Jeremiah, we call this the weeping prophet. He speaks strongly against the wickedness, again, of the southern kingdom, Judah, and then he actually experiences the fall of Jerusalem to the Babylonians. Lamentations, also by Jeremiah, where he mourns Jerusalem's fall. Very sad book. Ezekiel, this is a tough one. This prophet prophesies in exile. They're already taken away. Babylon and Persia. He prophesies in exile using many symbols. Symbols. There's a lot of mysterious symbology. Symbols that are used to represent something else in Daniel. Decrying the wickedness of those still in the promised land. They weren't taken away. Foretelling further destruction, but also future resurrection. Even one like a son of man who will stand before the Ancient of Days. It's going to be Jesus. Actually, that's in Daniel. Sorry, that's Ezekiel. Daniel talks about this. This prophet is an Israelite in exile who serves in the king's palace. He remained, and we know the lion's den. That's part of what happens there. He remains faithful to God in a wicked place and sees several visions of the future. Doing great? Doing great. The only thing left when you've read this far is the book of the 12, the Jews call it. It is the minor prophets. And it's kind of a nice little breakup because now all the books are short. You got through the major prophets. There are 60 chapters each. Now you get to the minor and there are just a few chapters Few of them are longer, but they're mostly a few chapters. So let's look at these to end the Old Testament. Hosea, this is, and this is the one we all struggle with, the minor prophets. So here they are. Hosea, God has this prophet symbolize Israel's unfaithfulness, that's Israel, north, by marrying a prostitute. Joel, this prophet speaks of God's judgment through locusts, though this may symbolize enemy soldiers. Amos, this shepherd prophet, proclaims judgment on Israel and her neighbors. Obadiah, this prophet denounces Edom, descendants of Esau, another nation, for oppressing Israel. Jonah, we know Jonah. 
This prophet reflects Israel's callousness toward blessing all the nations. This is what God promised Abraham. After running from God, he's saved from drowning by a big fish. Micah. This prophet denounces wicked Israel, but also promises future restoration through a ruler who will be born in what city? Merry Christmas. In Bethlehem. Micah's the one who foretold that. Nahum. Kind of goes with Jonah a little bit. This prophet foretells the destruction of Nineveh, the capital of mighty Assyria, who destroyed the north. Habakkuk. God use of a wicked nation to judge Israel perplexes this prophet who nevertheless I actually left it blank so I'm kind of depending on you for this one <laughs> nevertheless let's say trusts God even though there's nothing on the vine the stalls are empty he trusts I will still trust oh actually what does it say who knows that verse rejoice is that what he says he'll rejoice right Joy in the God. Okay, let's say trust. That's, that's correct. Take joy. I think that is the wording. Yeah. All right. Habakkuk also says that righteous persons shall live by faith. Paul will develop in Romans. Zephaniah, this prophet foretells the destruction of Israel, that's the north, and its neighbors by Assyria. Haggai. After Israel's exile, God urges his people through this prophet to rebuild Jerusalem's temple that the Babylonians had destroyed. Zechariah, this, this is a longer one, and this prophet sees several visions of the future and speaks of a, it's shocking, what kind of a leader is this going to be? I know, this is where the teacher expects you to read their mind. Suffering. This is a suffering leader to come. And he speaks of Israel's future restoration. And lastly, Malachi. This prophet bemoans the wickedness of Israel and her priests after the return from exile, but speaks of one who will come to refine God's people. Whew, good job. You guys have the Old Testament down. That's it. That's the Old Testament. So go read it. Now you know where you are. You'll know over the next 12 weeks. All right, New Testament. Let me give you the order of flow, and we'll finish up by talking about the books if you've got to leave in eight minutes when we're supposed to be done, then you can leave. We might go a few minutes over. All right, order of the New Testament here. In one sense, the order of the New Testament is like the Old Testament. So if you just remember the Old Testament, what was the Old Testament? History, poetry, prophecy. The New Testament is history, letters, prophecy. So revelation is prophecy. History, you could say epistles. See, you got the P sound in there if that makes you feel better. History, epistles, prophecy. History, poetry, prophecy. So they're actually somewhat similar. Here's a breakdown, really, of how we have the New Testament ordered. Semi-chronological. You have the Gospels. There's four of them. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Then you have Acts. Tells you what happens after Jesus' life and death and resurrection. Then you've got 13 of Paul's letters. Then you've got several letters not written by Paul. And then you have the book of Revelation. That's easier than the Old Testament even to remember that. So history, letters, prophecy. 
What's the flow of the New Testament? It's not too complicated. Semi-chronology, semi-chronological. What you have is just four things here. Of course, you've got Jesus, life, death, and resurrection in the Gospels. Then you've got Pentecost at the beginning of the book of Acts where the Spirit comes down on the church. And in our opinion, that's when the church begins. And the book of Acts continues that. And the book of Acts also tells you, oops, the book of Acts also tells you about the expansion that happens after Pentecost. This is where Christianity expands, the church grows. We call this the church age. We're living in it right now. That's where we fit in the story. And then Revelation tells us about the return of Christ. The only other thing in the flow that will help you when you're looking at the New Testament letters is just to be aware it's semi-chronology. Paul had three missionary trips followed by an imprisonment, another missionary trip, another imprisonment, and then he was killed. So 13 of the letters of Paul, which is kind of the bulk of the New Testament there, they don't all happen in order. And we don't always know when they were written. So some of them we call prison epistles, prison letters that we think were written, or almost certainly were written while he's in prison, and Philippians is one of those. Then you have 2 Timothy. You know that's the second imprisonment right before he dies. And then you have some we consider really early, like Galatians or letters to the Corinthians. But we try to date them best we can. But if you're trying to say, when was this letter in the movement of time of Paul's life, go get a good study Bible and it will tell you that. All right. This is our last task. It's a survey of the New Testament from your sheet. So let's do it. All right, the Gospels. The book of Matthew. This account of Jesus' life focuses especially on how Jesus fulfills what? The Old Testament. The Old Testament, which is the Messiah is the Messiah. It's the book of the Christ. Son of Abraham, son of David, that's how he starts it. Um, again, order is not inspired, but I think it was smart to put Matthew first because it helps bridge you over from the Old Testament into the New. Mark, this account of Jesus' life, it's the briefest, it's the most to the point, so you could start there if you want. Luke, this account of Jesus' life is a thorough account written by a doctor, gives special attention to issues of money, to God's overall saving work in the world, pointing especially toward the inclusion of non-Israelites, since Luke was not an Israelite, among God's people. And the little odd man out that we all love is John. This account of Jesus' life is the most unique of the accounts. It contains several long passages of Jesus' teaching, and it's written to show that Jesus is the Son of God. So there's the history. And then you have a little more history in the book of Acts. Luke, this is Luke again, who wrote Luke. Luke writes this account as a sequel to his gospel, and he describes the acts of Jesus' closest disciples, now called Apostles, capital A, Apostles. So the first part of Acts is mostly Peter, then you get to Paul. This includes the latecomer Paul. That's all the history. So the rest is just the letters written during that time and then Revelation. So here's the letters. We're going to break it up into Paul's letters to churches first. Romans, read Romans, great book. Paul argues that anyone, Israelite or non-Israelite, can become right with God, not by perfectly keeping the law that Moses gave, but by faith in Jesus. 
faith like Abraham's. 1 Corinthians, Paul writes to correct several problems in a very troubled church, lots of problems. 2 Corinthians, Paul defends himself and his ministry against attacks. There were more letters than just two written to the Corinthians, but those are the only two we have. Galatians, like Romans, Paul strongly rebukes churches for turning away from faith back to works of the law. Ephesians, Paul writes about the nature of God's people, the church. Yeah, chosen. We'll say church. Church. You got to know Philippians. We're going through it. Paul writes joyfully from prison to encourage unity and progress and to the thank a church for financial aid. Sorry about that. Colossians. Paul presents Jesus as above all things, including the false wisdom of this world. 1 Thessalonians, Paul highly commends a church and expresses his deep love for them. He writes also about the joy of Jesus' return. Comfort one another with these words. Paul writes to comfort a church and correct a few problems, including one that was caused by a letter falsely claiming to have been written by Paul. So he says, this is how I write. Remember my handwriting. Someone sent a fake letter in his name. All right, that's all his letters to the churches. Then you have his personal letters. Sometimes these are called, at least three of these, are sometimes called his pastoral letters because they're written to pastors, from a pastor to a pastor. First, second Timothy and Titus. First Timothy, Paul writes to his young disciple, Timothy. It's my middle name. I love Timothy. With instructions on how the church is to be organized and led. Second Timothy, probably the last one written in time by Paul. With his execution near, Paul writes once more to Timothy, encouraging him to be faithful to the end. Titus, Paul instructs Titus on how to lead the church at Crete. His concern is that the Cretans, who are not naturally very good, live good and holy lives. And that little, almost one-page book of Philemon in your Bible, Paul sends this letter with a runaway and now believing slave named Onesimus back to his master Philemon. That's the end of Paul. We're almost done. When you're getting through your Bible reading plan, you're going to get here and you're going to see the light at the end. You're almost done. You're in the latter months of the year. You move from Paul now to what we call the general letters. Hebrews is the only one we just don't know who wrote it. That's okay. You're going to want to know, but we don't know. Sorry. Something Paul, but probably wasn't. So we'll put it under the general letters. Hebrews. Jesus is greater than everyone in the Old Testament and has inaugurated a new covenant, hence the New Testament. James writes a very practical, hard-hitting letter urging Christians to walk their talk. That's Jesus' brother James. First Peter, Peter writes to persecuted Christians in Asia Minor and encourages them to suffer mistreatment well like Christ did. Second Peter, Peter strongly warns of and denounces false teachers. One chapter of Second Peter is almost identical to Jude. First, second, third John, this is the next book we're going through is first John. The beloved disciple John provides the marks of a true believer, the greatest of which is love. That's the same John who wrote the gospel, writes these letters. And Jude, in this short letter, Jude strongly warns of and denounces false teachers. And lastly, as we finish, Revelation, 
John recounts a glorious vision of the end times that Jesus has given him for the churches. Jesus, who rules now in heaven, will one day return and conquer earth, remake it, and rule over it in righteousness. How long? Forever. It's the end of the story of the Bible, but it's actually the beginning, the end of the preface, and you go on into eternity forever. All right. Good job. Wow. That's a lot of content. I hope you've just gotten a sense of the whole, a bit of a sense of the whole to prepare you for these next weeks. Here's the summary of the whole thing. I'll leave that up there even after if you want to write those down or not. But the summary of the, old, the whole, you know, Old Testament, history, poetry, prophecy, and the flow of it, creation, patriarchs, exodus, conquest, kingdom, division, exile, return, New Testament, gospels, acts, Paul's letters, general letters, revelation, and the flow of it is Jesus' life, death, resurrection, then Pentecost, then expansion, then the return of Christ. These will all be on the final, just kidding, but these are what you want to know in order to have a sense of the whole of the Bible if you really want to know the word. Let's pray and we are done. Lord, thank you for your word. It's a treasure. Every book, every book we just outlined in a sentence is an immense treasure and we would be destitute without even one of them. Thank you that you've given us 66 of them. The largeness of the Bible is not at all a ground for complaint. It is a ground for rejoicing that you would have given us such an abundant, you didn't give us a pamphlet or a little gospel tract, you gave us a whole Bible sufficient to instruct us in all matters pertaining to life and godliness. I pray over these next three months we would be like Bereans and devote ourselves to the words, search them in depth to know them, even the difficult books, even the smaller books, the minor prophets. Help us, Lord, to love every part of your word. And if we don't, wrestle our heart into a place where it does. Help us to fulfill our own name of Faith Bible Church. <laughs>